Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show where we take what people were saying about Doctor Who in the 80s and the 90s and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to that primary source in the letter or it might go off on some weird tangent. Who knows? For this episode, I'm proud to say I'm joined by Dwayne Bunny from the Sirens of Audio podcast. Hello, Dwayne. G'day, Rob. How are you? Thanks for asking me on. It's, it's my pleasure. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Because I guess I know what letters we're about to talk about. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> eagerly anticipating. Let's see. All right. Let's rip in. This first one is entitled Victorian Attitudes. Doesn't it make you cringe with embarrassment to associate yourselves with a series that thousands have loved and grown up with over the years, which now stars Bonnie Langford as Mel, the computer programmer, who quite honestly hasn't the foggy idea of how to use one, let alone wire a three-pin electrical plug. Miss Langford, bless her, is more suited to the theatre, and sadly has lacked the Doctor Who spirit and brought nothing new to the series. This is not an attack on Bonnie, as I don't use that sort of tactic on actors or actresses. It is only that I feel that without the whole concept of Mel is a washout and unbelievable. And that's from Kiv Cotton, Chalford St. Giles, Buckinghamshire. And I was remiss in not saying what issue of the magazine we're on. This is uh, 128 of Doctor Who magazine, September 1987. So, Dwayne, Mel. Hmm, September 1987. What was I doing? Mm. When, you, when you read the title of the letter, it was uh, Victorian attitude and, and it, made, right. it made me think of um that bit of rivalry between the doctor who club of australia which was based in sydney and the doctor who club of victoria i don't know if it's still going today but um was it wasn't it the australasian doctor who club? i think we were even claiming new zealand at the time i think it was i think it was <laughs> and that's when the west lodge was around as well in in wa but um as far as mel goes i think at that time there was a book I remember that was written by John Nathan Turner, mm-hmm. a hardcover book, and it was all about the companions. He did a little, uh, a little bio of each companion right through, and I think Mel was the last one in the book, and she hadn't yet appeared. So he was, he was describing all her personality traits and things like that, all the mm-hmm. things that she was going to bring to the show, and that was my first taste of Mel before she even appeared on the show. I can't remember what that book was called. Do you remember? I think it was just called The Companions. Okay. He he, he did the TARDIS Inside Out, That's uh, right. which yep. had all those lovely Andrew Skilleter uh, portraits and a bit of text on each Doctor. And then he did The Companions in much the same vein, as I recall. This is really going off on wild tangents, isn't it? It's got me thinking all different directions. But that's that's what we do. But but Mel as well, I'll throw in, she was confusing anyway, not only because we were sort of hearing a lot about her ahead of time, but it, with the way she was introduced in Trial of a Time Lord, like she was already the Doctor's companion who we'd never met. That was weird. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's what I would have hoped for after Trial of a Time Lord. I would have liked to have gone back and seen how Mel was introduced and got into her story a little better. But of course, that, that never happened, probably because of Colin Baker's sacking. But a lot of people really dislike Mel of the era, but there's a lot of the 80s to dislike if you look at it from our perspective now but Mm. i really i really didn't mind mel and i still don't we've just had the announcement recently of of the season 24 blu-ray i'm not even sure when that's out could be out by the time this goes to air i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah 
And uh, yeah, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of hate for season twenty four, but there's also a lot more people looking back on it with um, a lot more respect than it used to get, shall we say? <laughs> well, I look back on Mel's debut in in Vervoids, and I think that is much better now than when I watched it as a um, I don't know as twelve at the time or something like that. I, yeah. I I look at it with much fonder eyes now. Yeah, and I speaking of season twenty four, I loved. Time and the Rani. It's probably my one of my least favourite stories of the season, but mm. um, nostalgically, looking back at that, that was the very first season I started, you know, recording brand new Doctor Who off the television. Yeah. And so I had all those. And um, the, f- the first couple of episodes were, were pretty good to look at. They were not your typical quarry. I mean, it was set in a quarry, but it looked different. There was something a little bit more special about that. As with any Doctor Who story, you can pick it to bits. But, um, yeah, how old was I at the time? I was about 13 or 14 when that came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember eagerly anticipating that because I'd, I'd, I don't even think I'd seen... I think I might have missed the last episodes of Trial of a Tomlet because I, uh, and I hadn't seen Mel at that stage. So this was the first taste I was going to get of Mel uh, on screen. But, um, yeah, I don't... I, I, I don't know what they're talking about. They're they're not. Um, she's not. She's not that bad. Yes, she's very panto, but the whole series was at that time. So you just got to go with it. Absolutely. And look, before we move on to the next letter, I'll just throw it out there. Obviously, you come from a podcast that does a lot of big finish. Well, you're a big finish podcast. Mm. What would you say about Mel in the the big finish audios of late? Oh, she's. Everything that Mel has done for Big Finish Audio, just as everything that Colin Baker has done as a Sixth Doctor, is just as sort of made up for all that. So I would highly recommend anyone who doesn't really want to give Mel all the Sixth Doctor the time of day based on the TV episodes, don't throw them away because they are really good characters. They're really given a lot of uh, they're given a lot of depth, a lot of character. Uh, she doesn't scream. I can't recall her screaming like she did on TV in any of the big finishes. So, no, she's she's really awesome to, to listen to on audio. Oh, fantastic. Well, look, shall we move on to the next letter? Sure. I'm particularly happy to be reading this one because it's written into Doctor Who magazine back here in 1987 by someone who listens to this podcast and uh, actually corresponds with us regularly. So they'll get a nice surprise when, when I read who this is by if they've forgotten what they wrote. Uh, the title is Damaging Gossip, and it runs. It seems to me that a major contributing factor for the decline in the popularity of Doctor Who has not to do with the programming, nor with opposition it's placed against, A-Team, etc. Rather, I think it has to do with the insistence of fans engaging themselves in the discussion of backstage gossip and trivial information, especially rumours. This results in fans becoming increasingly dissatisfied with what the production team serves up on to transmission and seeking, therefore, to have a hand in the production of the show themselves by proposing plot ideas, speculating on suitable doctors, and generally harassing the production department, etc. John Nathan Turner must, in all fairness, take a great deal of blame for this as a result of seeking to put what should be a behind-the-scenes name as producer in lights, claiming to be as big a superstar as the actors themselves. 
Consequently, one's fascination and wonder at the elusive magic of Doctor Who is tarnished and even lost by an oversupply of inane and self-gratifying press releases issued by the production office. Just look at the amount of backstage chatter present in Gallifrey Guardian, for instance. Where is the magic and popularity of Doctor Who to be found? Ask Barry Letts, ask Terence Dix and Verity Lambert. It's not found in giving out any piece of production gossip you can find, it's in being as mysterious as the Doctor himself. It's in starving the public for information until they ask for more. Or better still, pouring wasted resources and time into making a top class and truly engrossing piece of television. So come on Doctor Who magazine, let's have interviews and nostalgia and cartoons, sure. But no more publicity-seeking press releases and no more behind-the-scenes rubbish. Give Doctor Who the magic it deserves. And that's from Steve Panozzo, New South Wales, Australia. <laughs> oh, I know Steve too. Good on you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, what an interesting letter. Just when we thought that the Twitterverse was where it all began, all this mm. gossip and, and stirring up of fans, it's been going on since the 80s. Yes. You know, the hate for showrunners. That really started in the 80s. It didn't start with Moffat and Chibnall. It started way back then. And mm. as far as the backstage gossip goes for then, well, the benefit of it being then was we didn't have the Twitterverse where things could be circulated instantly. Yeah. And uh, there's quite a contrast between now and then in as much as it took time for those bits of information to get through. Like, for instance, I never subscribed to Doctor Who magazine, so I'd get the occasional copy here and there. But my main source of information was the Doctor Who Club of Australia newsletter, Data Extract. So mm -hmm. things that would come through there, I was I was really highly anticipating all the things that were coming through. There, was, there must have been a lot of press releases related to season 26. I was very excited about season 26. That looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, all the little snippets that I got. So I was eagerly anticipating... I think uh, if Steve could go back and then look ahead to see what it was like now, he'd be just absolutely disgusted with uh, yeah, with the state of so. with the state of fandom. But it also got me thinking too. John Nathan Turner was known for being, yes, this larger than life character that was almost, and I reckon in some ways he is as popular as the the actors in the show. Mm. In fact during the 80s probably the mid to late 80s he was an actor in the show yes just not actually in the show but he was one of the characters that's for sure Absolutely. and uh, i think he ultimately became a character i don't know a lot of people tend to forget that he, he was uh, possibly a human being as well there's still people who who have a lot of resentment towards um john nathan turner for destroying their childhoods and <laughs> things like that but um I don't know if you've heard his... Uh, Big Finish released his autobiography as well. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but if you listen to that... The, oh, it's just called the John Nathan Turner Memoirs, J&T Memoirs. That's right, yeah. Two volumes. Yeah, and that is a... From his point... It's, it's always good to get it from his point of view as well as other points of view. Because I, I always tend to find myself on the side of john nathan turner when it comes to eric sayward because even though eric may have had some valid points he did it in such a mean and grumpy way that i just <laughs> find him a little bit distasteful yeah and you know the the fan hatred towards john nathan turner possibly caused him stress-related illnesses years down the track mm. so uh that's also possible too if you just look at the showman uh documentary that was released on blu-ray recently yeah, uh, or very in the last good. couple of years. So that gives you a, a, a closer look. It's always good to look at the showrunner as uh, 
as not just this character. And I think some sometimes fans end up treating the showrunner like a character. I, I've got to say, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Chibnall era. Mm. In fact, I'm probably not a, a fan at, at all, really, because I've, I've felt like I've given it so many chances uh, and I've just sort of after this last uh, special... I've heard a lot of people, a lot of a lot of critics actually say that this was the best one. But for me, it was just, it was kind of like the last straw for me from a story perspective. Yeah. Uh, but but Chris Chibnall is still a human being. He's still he's still a man. So we should be we should be discussing and debating the stories instead of a lot of the attacks against the person. So I think it's yeah. good that you read that letter because for me, I feel very much for Chris Chibnall because. He's only doing, you know, and people play that clip of him in the in the 80s. What was he talking about? Trial of a Time Lord? When he was on that was, TV yeah. show? And he was criticising that and people were playing that back to sort of have a, have a go at him 30 years later. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's very fair. Uh, if, we, if we're critical of his stories, sure, uh, have a go at them. Same with John Nathan Turner. If we're critical of his decisions, if you listen to his autobiography, he was desperate to get out of Doctor Who. He didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, towards the end, for sure. Well, even at the end of Peter Davison, he was trying to get out of it. I think, actually, no, I think the first time he tried to get out of it was after season 20. So he was only trying to go for it for a couple of years, but he ended up being there for 10 years, and and uh, he still gave some really decent output throughout that time. Sure, yeah. you can you can pick on some of it, but I think over that 10 years, there's some, there's some pretty good stuff in there, if you, if you look. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Shall we move on to the final letter? Sure thing. This is another one from an Australian. So we sort of have an Australian flavour in this episode. Mm. And it is is slightly confusing too. I'll I'll say up front that the heading for this letter is Poster Plea. And it starts by talking about posters in Doctor Who magazine. Then it becomes something else entirely. And it's probably the second half of the letter we want to talk about. So Poster Plea. The colour photo of Colin Baker with Nicola Bryant is wonderful in issue 125, but can you please refrain from putting these posters in inconvenient places? I like to keep my magazines intact, not cut them up, leaving articles half completed. It might be a nice idea to have the comic strip start or finish on a colour page. That would be interesting. Also, it might be nice to have some more things to do with a dead Dalek. I don't know what that means, by the way. Uh, I like the Doctor Who at the end of the letters page, the comic strip. Could we have some more of it? Okay, then we get into the letter proper. Really, some of the names that writers are coming up with. I think that the title of Strange Matter is so corny and pathetic that it overshadows what may well be a great story. And I'll just stop there and say Strange Matter was the working title for Time and the Rani. Back to the letter. How about a title like The Resting Place, Gateway to the Universe, The Masquerade, or The Chase of Pathos? Maybe the English have different tastes in story names and think those names are pathetic. Talking of stories, can you leave the Season 24 survey longer than you did last season? The thing was due in before we had time to even glimpse at the program as it wasn't shown to us until February. If you want international opinions, please wait. I can't believe that you don't get repeats in England. The BBC has 23 years worth of episodes and you don't see them. Here in Australia, we're currently viewing the Seeds of Doom and are in constant contact with the 70s. I hope that Sylvester McCoy lasts longer than the last two Doctors have done. I hope he does a good five years rather than under three. I wonder what happened to all those long-serving Doctors. Simon Moore, New South Wales, Australia. 
There's a lot there, Dwayne. He goes all over the place. Oh, I know Simon too. You're kidding. <laughs> uh, not very well, not very well, but he was also he was always very heavily involved with the club. So I was there sort of being uh, very nervous and shy in the corner and Simon was up there bombastically uh, doing panels and things like that for, for events. So, um, yeah. Do, I, so this, I, this letter's in keeping then with, with being bombastic, I guess. <laughs> exactly. First of all, Simon, rubbing it in a bit there with our UK brethren uh, saying that we... I think the UK fans <laughs> still have hard feelings about the fact that we got so much Doctor Who. But it wasn't just Australia. It was New Zealand and America too. Had it repeated yeah. all the time. Uh, the good thing about having lots and lots of repeats is that back in the days when uh, there was no uh, file sharing and things like that, we could we could videotape something old, send it over to the UK and get back something brand new on video before mm-hmm. it came out on TV here. So that was always a good thing. So it, it had its it had its perks, uh, it all these repeats. <laughs> now I've lost the, uh, the th- there was a few things, a few different things in that letter. I've lost the, the main point that he had in the letter because I was having a go at him about the, uh, about rubbing it into the UK fans. Well, one of the things was he thought the working title for Time and the Rani, Strange Matter, was rubbish. And then he came up with all these other titles. Well, I, I, had, I couldn't help but think that a lot of those titles uh, didn't sound too much better anyway. No. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I never actually had a, a problem with the, the, the title Strange Matter. I thought it would have been good. Well, it's kind of like a double meaning, isn't it? Like mm. they're dealing with an object made of strange matter and what is happening is is a strange matter. <laughs> and I don't remember why it was changed to, to Time and the Rani anyway. It might have been Andrew Cartmel taking that script and making sure it had some kind of link to the previous year so that fans knew it was still the same. I don't know. I don't know what the, yeah. what that was. I don't know. I don't I don't think any of the, the titles were, were pretty bad. Um, I'd have to... I'd have to disagree with uh, with Simon's uh, annoyance at those at those titles. Some of them are pretty good. I always thought that the Wolves of Fenric would be much better than the Curse of Fenric. I thought that was a very cool sounding title. What are some other working titles? Can you remember if there's oh, any? I think Fenric had more than just that. Didn't it have Wolf Time or something like that as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm really stretching my grey matter on that though. <laughs> <laughs> he does end by saying he hopes Sylvester McCoy lasts longer than the last two Doctors and does maybe five years. Well, if you go by length in the role before a regeneration, he did do <laughs> nine years, didn't he? he? He did indeed. Paul McGann's often touted as being the longest serving Doctor without a regen- regeneration, but um, yeah, McCoy was it was similar time period too. Yeah, yeah and look, he would have done for because he would have if they hadn't cancelled the show he definitely would have came back for a regeneration season so in theory he would have you know even if we don't count the when he regenerated stuff he he would have done four and would have been longer than Davo or Colin yeah I, I do remember back in those days and eventually seeing the whole season which was broadcast in Australia in 1990 I think I think the first uh, the first story I saw from season 26 was a story that they that they showed at uh, Whovention, 1990. Um, Nick Courtney was there, and they showed uh, Ghostlight. So they showed they showed all the stories over the weekend, but the one I saw was Ghostlight. So I was very very excited about that. Had no idea what was going on, uh, <laughs> but fortunately, I had a video recorder and could tape everything off the TV when it was re- eventually broadcast. Yeah. So yeah, it it was. Um, 
it, it was a shame. I, when it stopped, it was announced that it sort of wasn't coming back. I just couldn't believe it. I was in a state of disbelief for for quite some time. I thought, no, 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 it'll just go off. It'll just be like the last time. We'll go off for a year or so, and then it'll come back. And then it went on for, for years and years. It kept going. And then, yeah, then we had the TV movie. So Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I remember a recent primary sources where... We were reading a letter, actually, I think, from a Victorian fan scene, and the people were writing in in 1991, still talking like the show was would come back. They were in, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, it just seemed like such an institution by that stage. It was like, no, nah, it couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly be cancelled. Um, I think the official line is that it never was cancelled. It was just never continued. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know what the difference is, but anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and then we and then we entered those uh, those wilderness years. So, and then Dimensions in Time came out, and all yeah. the Doctors appeared in that. But fortunately, I didn't get to see that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Very fortunately. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dwayne, for taking us uh, through your thoughts on those three letters. It's it's been really fun. My pleasure. Uh, I particularly like that we had two Aussie letters in here. I think that's a first for primary sources thus far. And two familiar names. It's uh, it's it's good. That and they're still they're still around and active in fandom today. That's fantastic. Hello, Simon, if you're listening. Steve, I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, look. Until next time, uh, I've been Rob, and I've been Dwayne, and we'll see you next time on Primary Sources. <laughs>